they painted this as if Greycroft is like struggling or it's some kind of train wreck. I can assure you this is like a sign of actual strength. Mm -hmm. What they should be saying is Greycroft has the chutzpah despite having $25 million a year in fees on their billion dollars. They have the chutzpah to let go of a couple people and refocus and add some people and, and you know make some trades for their team. This is like trading, you know, a starter, you know, on your team and like two of your bench players, rotation players, to get slightly better, you know, mm. a slightly better starter and a, and a couple of better rotation players. This is far from a sign of weakness. This week in startups is brought to you by Embroker's startup insurance program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist. CLA. Innovation takes balance. CLA's CPAs, consultants, and wealth advisors can help you get from startup to where you want to end up. Get started now at CLAConnect.com slash tech and InTouchCX. Is your startup entering a new stage of growth? InTouchCX offers AI-powered automated solutions designed to help you scale smarter. Visit InTouchCX.com slash twist to build your custom strategy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. It's your boy, Jake Al, and I am here in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I am reporting live from the FII conference. You may have heard about my first trip, actually, to Saudi Arabia and uh, have learned a ton. I'll share some of those thoughts uh, on the All In podcast, um, uh, episode 151, if you're wondering what it's been like over here. And I'm sure uh, producer Nick, who's going to come here and read the news with me today, will have some questions. But let's get started. While I've been here on my trip uh, to UAE and to Saudi, uh, there's been a lot of news breaking, huh, Nick? There has, yeah. Can I ask you a quick question about your trip, first of all? Of course. Before we even get into may. anything? So did yes. you, when you went, did you take um, Emirates? Did you fly Emirates? I did. I did. Now, uh, you're I aware heard, of Emirates. Yeah. Yes. I've heard that uh, Emirates first class the, the like highest level you can get a first class yes. is actually better and more comfortable and more luxurious than like chartering your own small jet in the US. I've heard that. It, That's it, the rumor. Yes, uh, that is true. Um, I flew business class. Um, mm. The uh, first class tickets because there were two conferences going on. There's a Saudi conference, FII. Um, and then there was um, essentially what's a CES of the region going on in Dubai the week before. So all the tickets have been sold out. And so I looked at a first class ticket. There were so few left. It was $25,000 round trip. And so that's, that's, that's a no for me. Yeah. The uh, business class ticket wasn't cheap either. It was $9,000 round trip. Usually I think it's more like six, mm -hmm. but um, there's a direct flight from San Francisco to Dubai and it takes, uh, I think, 15 hours. So, but luckily my jet lag was great. I've gotten used to this flight. Uh, and you know, I'm just learning a ton here in the region. It's an interesting time to be here, obviously, with all the tragedy going on in this war. Um, and uh, I've been speaking with many people who are Palestinian. I've been speaking with many people who uh, are from both sides, and uh, it's uh, been enlightening. But the changes that have occurred over here in the region uh, have had me have caused me to really underwrite everything I know about Saudi Arabia. Um, now, I know UAE and Dubai have been incredibly progressive and changed a ton, um, but, but that's a 20-year story. 
what's happened here in Saudi is like a four year story. Um, and what's happened here is nothing short of amazing. The amount of freedoms, the, the, what's happened in terms of the economy and people starting companies and the social change, uh, they told me if I was here three or four years ago, there wouldn't have been music, um, dancing, uh, women in meetings, um, and, uh, you know, just the, the whole society is, uh, really changed dramatically, uh, in a very short period of time. So it was very encouraging. And the people here are some of the most hospitable, warmest people ever. They are almost universally listened to all in and all the founders and, and, and VCs listen to this week in startups, obviously. So I got a, uh, an incredible welcome here. The food's been amazing and I've learned a ton. We, we don't have any business interests here at the moment, um, but I'm, I'll make an announcement here. Uh, and this is, you're going to hear it for the first time. I am uh, going to build a partnership to bring this week in startups to the region. I'm so excited about the startups here. And there have been a number of unicorns. Uh, you may have heard of Kareem, you know, the, the, that Uber bought uh, for a couple billion dollars. And the, the ecosystem is very strong between Egypt, uh, Jordan, Saudi, UAE, Kuwait. So it's really exciting for me. It reminds me a lot of the ecosystem I saw emerge in Stockholm and, and Australia over the last, say, 15, 20 years with Atlassian. We had Scott on recently, you remember. Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, Sweden with uh, Daniel Eck, who's been on the program uh, from Spotify. On and oh, it's got, yeah, we've been, we've been back and forth. Then. Uh, great guest. Okay, so anyway, uh, any other questions about the trip or the region or your way for all in? No, nothing. I'm good. It sounds great. That's interesting. Yeah. The big thing I've learned, Nick, is um, th their commitment to venture capital is going to make them number two. I'm going to make the prediction right now here on the. Uh, what the hell is going on with your screen? I, I, I put up the number two. I said, I'm going to make the prediction here. Uh, I wonder what that was. Uh, come I did something with the yeah. AI that and it made crazy. balloons go by. I'm going to make a prediction right now. And I put up the number two in two. Um, I think the region when and when you say the region you know, mean middle east region mina um i think this is going to be the number two player in venture capital within 10 years um and, and that's a big statement but now when you say number two player do you mean in terms of lp commitments or do you mean in terms of actual firms investing in startups yeah i think it's going to be both and that's a really astute point um you you um kind of got right to the heart of this i've been meeting with a lot of the family offices here so in saudi uh in uae uh, what you'll have is family offices. And these families would have built some incredible business 50, 60 years ago. And it's not just in oil and gas. It might be in money exchange. It might be, um, you know, in uh, uh, being the Pepsi bottler in the region, et cetera. And so uh, you meet these family offices and they were in these like grinded out, absurdly operational businesses. Then they made money. And then these families... Um, will there they really are family businesses where generation after generation participate in the operating of these businesses then they make a little bit of money and they maybe will open up um toyota dealerships as but one example mcdonald's starbucks whatever they become the local partners of those um then they might do real estate and then they the private equity people have been coming to the region to raise large amounts of capital to go buy other businesses around the world so they learned about private equity and then at some point, you know, if you go down the private equity rabbit hole, you eventually like wonder where are these private equity companies, where are the companies coming from that private equity buys? Oh, sometimes they're public companies, sometimes they're venture capital based companies. Then you watch the venture capital companies, then they eventually will work with a partner like 
Stepstone, um, which is a consultancy that will help them f- get access to venture firms. And it's, hard, it's traditionally been hard to get access to venture firms. So they invest in venture firms uh, through a fund of funds, right? right? So they'll give money to a fund of funds. That fund of funds would give money to somebody like me or another venture firm. Like Sendana is a fund of funds. Yes, correct. A venture uh, firm that in other venture firms. Exactly. And so then they might directly invest in a manager like myself, and then they might do co-invest. So they would look at something coming out of Launch's portfolio or, you know, I don't know, Chamath uh, or Sachs's portfolio, and they might say, oh, we'll co-invest in that. So you invested in the A and the B, we'll invest in the C, right? So they get to make like a direct investment, get on the cap table, with not join the board, not pick the company, the GP and a venture firm that they're in would give them that guidance. And then eventually they start their own firms. And so uh which is a, a venture capital firm here in the kingdom or a fund of funds in the kingdom that invest in venture capitals and mubadala have both opened offices in san francisco so then you kind of see the end game coming uh which is they're going to be investing directly in startups alongside us and you know we'll be in board meetings in the u.s uh in europe and, and people in the region will be represented on those boards and overall company building uh is hope Right. And I think when people build companies together, there's always that McDonald's rule. People who, you know, if, if you have a McDonald's in your country, they don't go to war uh, was, uh, I think, something Thomas Friedman came up with. Mm-hmm. And there's something to, you know, companies uh, and countries that work together, you know, being able to collaborate on a lot of different things. And that's what I'm really excited about is I think, you know, especially at a time like this time, if people are building companies together, um, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, and, and I think that kind of collaboration, investing in companies, building companies. And so that's why I want to do like a 12 episode series of this week in startups in 2024 from the region, interview the VCs here, interview the top companies and just educate people in the US as to what's going on here and, and share information directly over podcasts, right? As opposed to through CNN or Al Jazeera or New York Times or Times of London, like maybe just get people direct to the founders yeah. direct to the venture capitalists and just create that bridge of understanding because it, it's it's no different than in the united states if i'm being totally honest can i ask you one more question about the region sure so yeah. what is the founder ecosystem like great question because um, i i read and this is specifically just the other day i was reading uh there's a thread on twitter on x about how it is so hard to build and scale a startup with all of the eu regulations right now and somebody yeah. basically took through the process. I think they were referencing like, okay, here's here's what it's like being a normal German founder. You get your um, advanced degree, then you get a grant from your school, non-dilutive, and you're like, this is amazing. And then it takes you three years of building the product to get through all of the EU uh, licenses and everything that you have to apply for to even be able yep. to sell a product to people. And then by the time you're done with that, you're like, okay, we can raise money. But then since you've had so little, so little progress during that time, you raise like a really dilutive round, yeah. like a seed round. And then all of a sudden you're like, six years in you're 34 years old and you're like yeah it's brutal oh my god this is terrible so do you think that there's going to be a pipeline of founders from sort of the europe region that are like wow it's way easier to build a startup in maybe it's already happening so yeah once again you you've um made a great observation and then to fill you in uh in dubai and the uae they have something called a golden visa they will give you a visa for 10 years like if you're coming here and there's no tax so people from Hong Kong, Singapore, Indonesia, Australia, and Europe are coming here and they're headquartering their companies here. So just think about how amazing that is, no tax. Then to add to it, Saudis and Dubai and Abu Dhabi are creating uh, programs where they'll give a founder who moves their company here 
a grant might be a hundred K or it might be a free office space. Uh, and I'm actually in an office space here in Riyadh called the garage. And this house is 150 startups. This is like, what? take the, take the three or four largest we works you've ever seen and put them together. That's the garage. It's unbelievable. I mean, when I say there's 150 startups here, it's nuts. Uh, and so they will give you a uh, free office space. They'll, uh, give you a grant perhaps. Uh, and, uh, they'll pay for your apartment uh, in some cases. So if you're a founder, imagine basically having, you know, whatever, a quarter million dollars worth of expense, and then everybody gets a golden visa and you don't have to pay tax. So for startups, it would be like having Y Combinator and launch accelerator, investing in your company and giving you an apartment, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's, pr- it's quite alluring for startups. And so, uh, f- it may not, maybe not for us startups coming here, you know, that's a big trip to make, but for Europeans, uh, for people in India. And for people in Asia, it's a very easy trip. You know, uh, Dubai is two hours away from India, uh, and Saudi's ma- and Saudi's two hours from Dubai. So everything is right. There's there's four billion people within, you know, uh, a couple of hours flight of mm-hmm. uh, Dubai and Riyadh. So these are very very close to a large number of people. The customer bases here are pretty variable. UAE is a tiny country. Saudi's thirty five million. Egypt's a hundred million. Egypt has a lower amount of revenue and income per person. Uh, but they, they, they do adapt technologies quite quickly. And then Saudi is like unbelievable revenue per customer. UAE is unbelievable revenue customer. So the most profitable places in um, ride sharing and food delivery, UAE and Saudi, these co- businesses are profitable. I'm at a buy now pay later company profitable out of the gate here. So wow. the companies here can get profitable very quickly because the customers are so well healed. Uh, and then they and they do have big average revenue per user, ARPU. One last question about Saudi. Sure. Since you've been there, have you heard any yeah. on the ground whispers of the line? There is Neom. Yeah. Which is essentially a new city they're building from scratch. They just opened the first hotel there. They invited me to go. Obviously, I have to get back to my family and I've been here for quite a quite a trip, almost two weeks. Um, so the line is like second decade of neom neom mm-hmm. is going to be a new city that they're building on the water and this is like beautiful ocean so it's essentially going to be you know saudi's dubai or just a new city from scratch and then they build special zones within these that are culturally more like the west so as an example in dubai they have a news zone a media zone where media can go and operate freely uh and then in dubai they obviously have alcohol mm-hmm. um you know, in, in Saudi, they don't have alcohol yet, but there's rumors, uh, and there's been a lot of talking read about in the press that maybe in Neom, because that's going to be a tourist destination and tourism is so big, maybe that would have alcohol or wine. Even in um, UAE, they're going to have a wind casino outside of Dubai, like two hours outside of it. So, you know, the, the, it's becoming in terms of personal freedoms and culture, you know, this is more change in the last three or four years than in a hundred. It's, it's pretty extraordinary uh, what's happening here. And so I'm really excited to see the, the massive positive change. And again, you know, not to be cynical or anything, I have no business interest over here. I just had an interest in learning, right? And um, I think the next step for me is to uh, maybe do a, a 12 episode run here of podcasts and then, you know, share with you what's going on here. And so, uh, and everybody's over here. Uh, Jared Kushner's here. I saw him. You know, every fund manager, tons of startups are here. I ran into everybody while I was in Dubai and Riyadh. 
Um, and it's pretty amazing the, the, the business, um, deals that are going down and how active everybody is. That's great. Well, while you were doing that, I grew a mustache to, uh, annoy my wife. Um, oh yeah. Well, uh, and also your boss. <laughs> so well accomplished. I don't know who looks more ridiculous, me with these Bono glasses yeah. or you with that mustache. You know, I was Put us together. For, I was both our wives hate us. Yeah. I was going for Brad Pitt and Inglorious Bastards, but I think I'm more like yeah. both for Pedro. So, you know. No, I, I got the Brad Pitt one. I yeah, think, I think you're think pulling so? it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. You're definitely it. not Brad Pitt on the uh, roof in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fixing no, the antenna. No, but no. I need yeah. much, but few much of us more can tan, be. much more chiseled jaw, yeah. much more blonde hair. Pretty gratuitous scene, huh? He's like, you know what? I'm up here on the roof. I might as well take my shirt off and have a beer. Yeah, I think Tarantino was just kind of letting him fly on that one. He's like, let's just be, yeah. go be a movie star. And he did a good job. Go do it. Yeah. All right. Listen, we work with super early stage companies at my investment firm. It's called Launch. I'm talking pre-series A, right? We're talking seed stage, friends and family. And you know what? At that stage, maybe they don't have insurance yet. In fact, just recently, we had an amazing startup. They didn't have D and O insurance. Uh, if you don't know what D and O means, that basically protects your directors and officers. Directors, board of directors, officers, the people who run the company, your management team. So what do we do? We send them right over to Embroker. Embroker is business insurance built specifically for startups. Inbroker's single application helps startups get four quotes for four lines of coverage in 15 minutes. They connect you with one of their expert brokers for unmatched service, and that goes beyond your policy, okay? We use this uh, at all of our companies. It's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And if you're not getting insurance, you know, at some point, you're going to have to get it. So let's make that point today. Right now, this weekend, tonight, just go to Embroker today with the code TWIST and you'll get 10% off their startup package. How do you get the startup package? Embroker.com slash twist. That's E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist. Make sure you use that uh, code TWIST for 10% off. That also, more importantly than getting the 10% off, that shows them that you're listening to this week in startups. So we love Embroker. Uh, they've been amazing in terms of supporting our founders for years. And of course, this very podcast. Great job, Embroker. Anyway, back to some tech stuff. Shout out so QT. We had, uh, yeah, we had um, Google, Microsoft, and Snap report earnings yesterday, yesterday being yes. Tuesday. Um, for Microsoft and Google, both had strong overall performances, but Google's Incredible. actually down 8% on the day. And basically, it was a tale of two different cloud businesses. So let's do Google first. Okay. Google beat on overall analyst estimates for both its top line and its bottom line. It had its Amazing. first double-digit year-over-year revenue increase in over a year. They were up 11% yes. to $76.7 billion, but they missed on cloud revenue expectations. So the stock yep. is right now down more than 8%. Market cap is still $1.6 mm -hmm. And if you just want to go through quickly, I'll list them off. Q3, re Q3 revenue, 76.7 billion, up 11% year over year, up 3% quarter over quarter. Net income, 19.7 billion, up 41% year over year, up 7% wow. quarter over quarter. And specifically- so Yeah, go ahead. Is going to be based on lowering the, the, the staff size, the layoffs, cutting costs, right? Yeah, they're about, they're it's down about 10,000 employees from the peak. Sure. Um, YouTube ad so, revenue. So, you know, this is, this is the important one too, is the YouTube ad revenue, because YouTube- Kind of seems to have hit a bump for a little bit there, right? It wasn't it's growing been, as fast as they It's been floating right around seven and a half to eight billion for the last like six quarters, it feels like or so. Yeah. Um, ad revenue again, eight billion dollars, up twelve and a half percent year over year, up four oh, percent quarter good. over quarter, and came in above that. They turned it around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they turned it around. Right. Um, and then again, cloud revenue, eight point four billion, up twenty two and a half percent year over year, but actually came in slightly below expectations. I just want to point out. Yeah. 
that this revenue is up 11% year over year, but the number of employees is down like 4% or something, mm-hmm. uh, 5%. So they're, they're at 182,000 employees from a peak of 190. And so this is part of the sto- overall story of getting fit in Silicon Valley, doing more with less. The number of employees goes down year over year mm-hmm. by 4 or 5%. The revenue goes up 11%. So this is efficiency and, and, and this is what the, the street has wanted from them. So I'm surprised that the stock reacted negatively. Is this because Microsoft's cloud is doing better than Google's? Yes. Is that the and story they think here? It's basically okay. a proxy for how they're doing in AI, in their, in their AI services. Hmm. So I think that's really what it's all about. But there's one chart that I, I, I saw that I thought was interesting to bring up. So the, hmm. the chart on the top is Google's total quarterly revenue sure. by quarter. And the chart on the bottom is its year-over-year quarterly revenue growth. So you can mm-hmm. see in the beginning of COVID, for the, obviously for one of the, I think, I guess the second time ever, Google had a actual negative, uh, it had negative growth in a quarter. Uh, and I think that was Q2 of 2020 when COVID first hit and advertising mm-hmm. laws and everything, the whole sure. world fe- felt like it stopped. And then after that, you could see the insane revenue scale up to at one point, Google had over 60% revenue growth year over year. And obviously that was because that was the quarter of the year before where revenue crashed down. But if you just look on it on a cumulative basis, their revenue uh, quarter over quarter, it's pretty amazing yeah. to, to think that you're, you're, they're scaling $70 billion of revenue. Even growing that 10% is, is amazing. It's, these are big numbers. And I think that's a really good point. But you do see when a company gets to this scale, it's hard to move the needle. There's no acquisition they can make that's going to change this, right? There's yeah. what companies making 10 billion a quarter that could grow them 20%, right? Yeah. Um, you would have to get into something like Tesla, Uber, Airbnb. They would have to be able to buy one of those companies in order to like really jump this revenue up. So this is, um, you know, these are turning into value stocks in a way, if you think about it that way, as opposed to high growth stocks. And what they could be doing, though, is they could pull out of Apple's playbook, buying back shares. So with all this cash, if they want to see that stock go up, buying back shares uh, or issuing dividends, which is essentially the same thing when you think about it, mm-hmm. buying back shares just gives you a cash-free dividend for the moment. If you get the dividend, it's going to be double taxed. The, the, the company's going to pay tax on it. I think you're going to pay tax on it. I think that's how it goes. Um, so it's really going to be, um, all this is going to be about, I think, at the end of the day, this is, you know, they're not high growth businesses. They, they might have moments of high growth, but you're absolutely correct. When you start making $70 billion, it's kind of hard to grow that significantly. Yeah. And then transitioning to Microsoft, Jason, you just mentioned buybacks. Microsoft announced that it bought back $9.1 billion worth of shares this quarter, which is technically it's Q1. They have a offset mm-hmm. fiscal year. Um, Microsoft beat on top line and bottom line. The stock's up almost 4% or it was as of, you know, noon yum, Eastern yum. time. Uh, $2.55 trillion market cap, Q1 revenue, 56.5 billion, up 13% year over year, up 1% quarter over quarter, net income, $22.3 billion, up 27% year over year, up 11% quarter over quarter. Azure was the big winner, up 20, still growing, almost 30% year over year, up 29%. Intelligent cloud revenue as a whole was up 19% to 24.3 billion. Why are they put the intelligent cloud in front of that? That's... Yeah, they, they, they group Azure in with the intelligent crowd. So they don't actually tell you their exact revenue. They just tell you the amount Azure grew on a percentage basis year over year. Hmm. Um, and Satya 
in his comments, mentioned AI almost 30 times in his opening statement. Here's a quote mm. with co-pilots. We are making the age of AI real for people and businesses everywhere. We are rapidly infusing AI across every layer of the tech stack for every role and business process to drive productivity gains for our customers. So they know. Perfect. Yeah. They know where they're going. With they this. know what's up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, co-pilot is the obvious proof point here. Anybody who knows uh, a developer hears from them that they're 10, 30, 50% faster. It depends on the task and how unique your code base is. So if that can happen with developers, that can happen with accountants, it can happen with lawyers, it can happen with designers, it can happen with strategy people, people who make PowerPoints. Every executive human resources are going to be using some sort of co-pilot to make themselves really fast. And, you know, we, you and I, we remember we did, we tried to do this this week in startups, archivist and hire somebody to go through and transcribe everything and organize everything. Well, if you go to this week in startups now, uh, com, we are using podcast AI. They transcribe every episode of the show. They know who the guests are. They tagged it. And now you have a full index search. We were going to spend a hundred dollars, $200 per episode to do this. Uh, with 2000 episode, that would have been about a $500,000 project. And I was thinking about investing in it for the legacy of the show. And what, three years later, uh, AI is doing the whole thing and it's just done. Yeah. And so this is a really important point. You and I were trying to figure this out. I think it was two years ago. Yeah. We had a lot of, we, uh, was, what do they call that? Technical debt with the old website? Because the old website yeah. had every single episode. It had it numbered. It had yeah. a small description of it, but it was built on this old WordPress infrastructure that was so, I mean, you know, and for the time, yeah. it was probably in 2009 when you started it, it was probably like the best Shout thing out to do then. Like, yeah. yeah. But um, my God, it was now, just impossible yeah. to move to, to figure the site out. So we had to totally yeah. scrap it. And now a company we've invested in podcast, I just did the whole thing. And um, you guys shared a clip last week from, you know, there's about a hundred companies making, you know, make an automated clip from the podcast. And I, you yourself said, not bad, like you gave it a B or something. A podcast yeah. clip recently from this and i was talking to the founder about it and i was like you know there's there's a bit this is a whole other side discussion but there is a really um in terms of like podcast tiktok clip creator tools yeah. there are like two ways that you can go right you can go the route of we want to build a browser-based editor that's like really really basic and we're going after the sort of i'd call it creator class right? The, mm -hmm. the individual, the indie podcaster, the solo person that wants to make a clip, but doesn't yeah. want to spend money on an editor. Or you can go after more of like the enterprise class. And what that means is, you know, no real editor, I don't think is ever going to mm -hmm. use a browser-based like sort of mishmash no. together solution. But what I was talking to the founder about, I'm like, if you want to go after like real editors, what you need to do, this tool is amazing. And it's amazing how you could basically do a cutout of the video overlay yeah. it on stuff all automatically that used to take a lot of time in after effects now you could just yeah. do it like this right which is great but if you really want to capture like the enterprise editor market where the real money is i think you have to make it exportable to premiere and exportable to other editing software right and that's mm -hmm. what this founder did and i was like this is there's something here now i think if it's easily ah, exportable so they would make a, a tiktok video with you know moving animations putting the the um captions on top of it in an interesting way but if you export it then you get all the layers and the and the that you can then edit and refine exactly. and make it perfect the and polish so you could polish so say they get you 70 percent there that last 30 percent is really the part that you need a human to do right 
Um, mm-hmm. At least that's that's what I think. Maybe, maybe someone will figure out the solution soon, but no, that I, mean, I think is where the money is right now, and that's what this founder is doing. So that's why I thought that was really interesting. I mean, it it takes us two hours or four hours to make a good quality clip. What does it take now? Probably two. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Two. So if an editor, you know, full time editor, or even if you were to use somebody offshore, let's call it thirty bucks an hour. I don't know for like a decent editor who could do it. Uh, a freelancer might be thirty or forty. You think? So it winds up being. 60 80 let's round it up to a hundred dollars a clip mm-hmm. you know if you take out 70 percent of costs it's basically taking out 70 of the hundred dollars a clip in cost so you could either make three times as many clips or you can move on to the next thing on your to-do list all right everybody steven estes is a principal at cla clifton larson allen this is a professional service provider that specializes in cpa tax consulting and wealth advisory welcome to the program steven thank you for having me what are the big mistakes people make when they're architecting their accounting, their cash management? What are the company killers that you see most often? Since we're talking about startups and things that break companies, I mean, a lot of the things that I've I've seen out there can be around equity-based comp. You know, one of the mistakes we'll see, and I've seen some pretty wacky stuff over the years, is is founders, CEOs promising to you know some of the key people. That they're going to get equity at a certain rate or like uh, their last 409A, but they've just raised a, a Series A or Series B. And now the value of those shares is up 10x. Mm. And now there's a $200,000 tax problem. And we need to now go back to the board and try and get a bonus to this person to cover the tax. So I, I think that that's something that gets overlooked by a lot of startups and a lot of founders. And I think that it's important that all founders have a basic understanding of equity-based comp. I mean, they don't they don't need to be a CPA, but they should understand the difference between a non-qual and an ISO and an early exercise or if restricted stock uh, awards would be the right thing. And if an 83B election would help out and what that is and what the implications are. Get started right now at claconnect.com slash tech. Let them know your boy Jake Hal sent you. claconnect.com slash tech to get started right now. Okay, you know, the thing I'm really excited about with Snap, I saw Mark Pincus tweeting about snap he's got a big position i i was thinking about putting a j trade on for snap i'm at the end of this year i'm going to clear out all my losers in my j trade portfolio so that i have all those losses to take against some wins i have in the portfolio um so there's going to be a bunch of a cash coming in. uh <laughs> a tax tax loss loss yeah hey, a little tlh coming in and so we're gonna we're gonna just annihilate the, the losers from this portfolio shout out disney shout outs uh uh, Warner Brothers, who else cost me money this year? Sishfix. Um, there, all that's going to get cleared out, and then we're going to have to put some money into something. I'm looking at Snap. Okay, so take me through it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just I, I might have to talk you off the ledge here a little bit because okay. Snap Snap stock was up slightly after initially jumping. It initially jumped almost like twenty percent in after hours trading. I saw that. Beat top Crazy. line, beat bottom line, user metrics, beat expectations as well. Their market cap is relative to their revenue, pretty low. It's a pretty cheap stock. Mm. It's $15.8 billion market cap. Um, Q3 revenue was $1.2 billion, basically, up 5% <coughs> year over year, up 11% quarter over quarter. Um, their, Snap's year over year quarterly revenue growth had been declining for two consecutive quarters, but now they just increased yep. it, so they're sort of back to growth. Um, if you go with Snap's trailing 12 months revenue they're trading at a three and a half times price to sales wow yeah daily active users 406 million up 12 that's the thing that got me that's a lot of people yeah i'm i'm a little dubious about that number i'll be totally honest mm. with you um okay. 
Snapchat Plus, which is their um, paid subscription. It's two bucks a yeah, month. Yeah, how's that doing? Uh, it has 5 million paying subscribers they announced, or they announced they surpassed 5 million paying subscribers, so at least $10 million a month in revenue from that. Um, 200 million users have sent over 20 billion messages using Snap's My AI tool. Uh, net loss was $368 million, which was basically flat year over year and slightly lower, slightly less of a loss. Than Why they are they last losing quarter. money? I thought they were trying to become a profitable company. I, I don't understand what Evan's doing. So this is the big thing with Snap. They've lost money in every single quarter that they've been a public company, except one at the end of 2021, where they were profitable. They were on a net basis. They were profitable like $22 million or something. It was basically they were break even. What is his, what is Evan's thinking here? If the entire world would give him huge credit, like they did Uber and Airbnb for being a profitable company, why is he still living in 2020 in the ZERP environment? He's got to leave ZERP. He's the only person who hasn't gone post ZERP. Yeah. So, you know, I, the, I don't know that answer to your question, but what I do know is that I think Evan and his CTO, uh, who the two co-founders, due to their super voting shares, they control 99% uh. of uh the outstanding stock right the outstanding don't voting shares in snap so they can basically do well, whatever they want here's the thing shout out to ev and his partner for having uh hootspot if you're going to have super voting shares you might as well use them and yeah. so obviously they have some thesis here that losing a billion dollars a year or a billion two makes sense i don't know what they're thinking but they, I think they're content having a $15 billion company. If it was profitable, it might be a $20 billion company or $25 billion, but I guess more. they don't care. Maybe more, but maybe they don't care about that. Maybe they got some grand vision here and they want to keep growing the user base. Yeah. And they've been, they've done a ton of work on their like, you know, AR lenses, um, developer platform, which yeah. I think is, is that's great, but I, I really don't know side how quest. many people are using that. Like it's a side quest. Yeah. yeah. And I have some of my own thoughts on Snapchat as someone who's used it forever, but um, just let Did me- Did you outgrow you it? You get married and you have a kid, you, that's it, it's over, no oh, more Snapchat. yeah. You? I mean, I've- You're way I too busy. I probably was Snapchat's first like real demographic. I think it it came out when I was like a sophomore in high school. So yeah, yeah. I was really the first like group of users that were on Snapchat all the time. It was like my all my friends and I. And by the time I think we like left college, most people were basically off Snapchat. I still have like one group chat on there that I will open it for. Um, but for the most part, yeah, everybody's kind of cycled off of it, but they all went to Instagram. Yeah. Basically everybody went to, and like yeah. iMessage, like I, yeah, iMessage yeah, groups sure. just got so good that e there's yeah, like, and no who wants to get canceled else. or whatever. Yeah. iMessage brought up. So, like, um, uh. so their snaps cash position, they have $3.6 billion of cash, cash equivalents and marketable securities. They just announced they're going to repurchase $500 million up to $500 million worth of worth of shares using their cash and equivalents. Mm. And as of June, 2023, they had about $3.75 billion worth of debt. Now you can assume that that debt was mostly taken on during a very, very low interest rate environment. So they probably- so it's not, If it's not variable, they might be paying 3% on it, 2% right. on it or something. I don't know. Yeah. And it's so in which debt, case, and corporate debt always gets like a lower interest rate, right? No, I think it's the opposite. I think it's oh, higher. Really? Yeah, like then a mortgage because you have the house okay. against it. But who knows what they struck? You know, there were some weird things going on during that period. So mm -hmm. anyway, let's put it at 5%. If it's 5% and they think that they're going to grow more than 5% in revenue or whatever, then it's a good trade to make, I guess. But using debt to buy your stock back seems to be a little risky to me. 
That's like paying your mortgage with your credit card. So yeah, I'm off the ledge. I'm back inside. I sh I'm actually, I'm shutting the window on this one. I just shut the window. I, I didn't lock the window. I shut the window though. I don't need to be on a ledge with these guys, especially yeah, now okay. with the money losing. I'm off. I'm out. I, I think it's clearly it's it. The stock is cheap w if you compare it to its other counterparts, and it has yeah. a lot of users. But I think just because something is on sale doesn't necessarily mean that you should buy it. And everybody mm. that I see saying that Snap is such a good buy are like guys in their 40s and 50s. Are those Snapchat's right. users? Do no. Is anybody banging the drum about how amazing Snapchat is? Everybody says teens are using it like crazy. Okay. A as someone who's used it since it first came out, I actually don't think it's that good of a product. I mm. think that- It's a bit of a know, mess, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a hodgepodge of- you open it and you don't really know what you're supposed to do with it. Like, is yeah. it is it for group chats? It can be. It the snap map is interesting, but it doesn't feel like that's been fully fleshed out. It seems like they're pouring all their resources into this like AR lenses platform. I'm not Didn't sure. Did they start to de-deprecate that and cut some of the spending on that side? So quest? they did, but they just mentioned on the last earnings call that they were like so proud of the work that they were doing in their AR uh development yeah. platform. You know, so, Evan's like very um cerebral product guy who doesn't talk all that much and i don't think that this company does a great job communicating with the rest of the world what their vision is and I, and the product is you know he's a product genius clearly yeah um and you know there 400 million people is unbelievable i mean this is like five percent of the planet or whatever use this product Daily Tov, it's like, that's not monthly active users that's daily yeah no it's, it's a sick amount of daily active and, the, and that those street things they really understand the gamification of all this mm -hmm. what i wonder is the governance issue here where they don't have a board that controls it i would think the governance should be such that they would say let's be profitable let's buy if we're going to buy back shares let's buy a hundred million from profits and a hundred million from the debt or something you know mm -hmm. and, and make it feel more like what Uber's doing, there was a report that came out about Uber might buy something to the effect of like 20% of their outstanding shares. Wow. That's crazy. I missed that. That's, you know, over like the next five years. Yeah. It was a crazy report. Um, and so they just upped their price target to $59. I think it was Goldman or somebody. And so they, I think they're reporting on November 8th. So I'm really excited about that. Obviously, I'm a long-term shareholder. And, uh, you know, uh, they've just done a great job. There's like five or six million Uber drivers now. I think there's 2 million people who work at McDonald's and like a million that work out. It's either 2 million at Walmart and a million at McDonald's or the, or the reverse. In other words, if you put McDonald's and Walmart together or, you know, uh, Starbucks and Walmart together, I think Uber is like twice as many people making money from their, their platform. So it's shout out to the team at Uber. Okay, everybody, there are a ton of best practices out there for scaling your startup. Need more compute? Well, you go find one of the dozens of cloud providers. If you need a more scalable sales system, there are hundreds of CRMs for you to choose from. But one thing that is really hard to scale, customer support, of course, yes. Why? Well, because as your customers grow, your support tickets, they grow in lockstep. This can create a huge problem. You have to hire and train customer support staff, which can lead to longer resolution times, which then increases your churn and high churn well, that kills a startup. So here's your solution, everybody. InTouch CX provides end-to-end -end customer experience tools that are powered by AI. InTouch CX can even manage forecasting and staffing for your customer support agents.
This will deliver personalized responses quickly. And that's going to help drive that customer satisfaction. Listen, automation is changing everything and customer experience and customer support is at the forefront of the AI revolution. And you need to be there too. Don't wait. Don't fall behind your competition. You're going to save money. You're going to provide better service to your customers. And you want to start scaling now and you want to start scaling smarter with InTouchCX. Visit InTouchCX.com slash twist for your free consultation with an automation expert. Okay, that's InTouchCX.com slash twist for a free consultation. I have one more question for you slash observation about uh, Snapchat. Okay. So they define a daily active user as someone who opens the app. You don't have to send a snap. You don't have to open a a story. You just have to open the app. Now, over the past- Not a notification. Not a notification. Just clicked on the notification, open the app. Okay. That's it. Open the app. Uh, Yeah, not not, not opening an email. Actually, you have to to open the app. Um, I have been, but I will say, I've been getting a lot of notifications over the past month-ish, maybe a little bit more- from Snap's new um, My AI tool. So they send mm. you, they'll like populate notifications on your phone, but you can't really tell that it's the My AI when you're scrolling through your mm. phone. So you'll just see that you have like, you know, five notifications on Snapchat and you're like, that's weird. I or one of my huh. friends from my group chats. So you open it, but then it's just like, oh, look at our new feature set for My AI. But then oh, I count as a user. You that think they're day? goosing the notifications to get the users up? I don't know. I kind of just looking into it. I because I, I noticed this. I'm like, why do I have all these Snapchat notifications? Nobody's using it. And I I'm think that would be standard app. operating procedure. You could see, I could see people in a war room somewhere saying, "Hey, we want to show whatever percent growth," mm-hmm. and then somebody saying, "You know, how do we get more people to open the app?" And they say, "Okay, let's do birthday reminders." You know, like you know, standard gamification Always. stuff. Yeah, and like, yeah. oh, uh, look what you were doing this day eight years ago, which is fine, yep. I think. I mean, this is just classic ways to get engagement and, and to get people to re-engage with the product. So, you know, here's your Spotify rewind and that, oh, you want to share your Spotify refund. Other people get it. Oh, here's Nick's Spotify. Here's Jake's Spotify rewind. You know, it just kind of gets you into the whole, uh, you know, or like, hey, you like this podcast, might you like this one kind of situation or this artist you follow on Spotify is now on tour. So yeah, there's a whole group of people who are working at these companies to shape that kind of stuff. And there could be an edict from on high, hey, we want this number for the earnings call, you know, you can spam people a little extra, <laughs> which, you know, it's, I guess it's fair game. Um, I, I guess, I don't know. If it's fair game, if the feature doesn't make the person turn off notifications. So the mm-hmm. punishment for overplaying your hand here is the old unsubscribe turn off notification. Which I just did, by the way, I just turned off notifications because I'm okay, like, well, so there you go. So somebody clip this and send it to Ev and the team over there and let them know, like, don't overplay your hand because I've been turning off notifications like crazy. I think notifications are evil. I'm now like team focus mode and team sleep mode. And I've been turning off notifications for almost every app. I literally even turned it off for messages. I'm like, you know what? I open my phone enough. Turn off notifications. And for kids, I'm turning off notifications. All three daughters, no more notifications. I think on their iPads, notifications are evil. They create anxiety and stress in humans. Totally. If you're at work and you're using Slack, just open Slack and look at your notifications. So you don't need to get pinged about them. It's just yeah. anxiety producing. And I these turned off the Slack. watches you know with the ding, ding, ding. That goes, do, 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 Yeah, yeah. I turned that yeah, off a long off. time ago. It was of the course, best decision ever. Course. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's anxiety producing. What if it's yeah. me DMing you? <laughs> well. Some crazy idea for a new project. I have a framework, I think, for investing in consumer internet companies. Mm. 
I think. Okay, I here we go. By you. If a company has the governance and the capital situation that Snapchat has with um, a lot of outstanding debt, not a ton of cash in the bank, unprofitable, and the founders mm-hmm. control everything, then you need to be, to invest in that company, you have to be absolutely blown away by the product. You have to be sure. like, like early or Instagram. The like, yeah. wow. Or the growth. Or and the growth. You're something. Not, something has to blow you away in order to ignore the governance issues. This is a great observation. And I yes, think if, if you, you want to have the God skip. King, yeah, if you want to have the God King privilege, you better perform. Yeah. That's it. That's a, it's a great rubric. If you want those shares, if you want the super voting shares, you better be bringing it like Google has historically. Yeah. And yeah, listen, you know, it's just every time you want to fall in love with that stock, you look at the governance and you look at the debt and you, you, you look at the fact that they are kind of saying we don't care about profitability. And you say like, does this feel like Amazon and Uber and Airbnb? And honestly, it doesn't. I, I would like them to show me four quarters in a row of profits and then I buy the shares. Maybe yeah. two even. Show me two quarters. You know, 25 million in profits and 100 million in profits. And I can, I'll buy, I can, the, you know, I'll buy the stock then. Yeah, it's $9 a share, right? I could see it being a good trade. I could see you maybe doubling your money if sure. something goes right. I like to double. But I, if you're- I could also lose hold, half. Hold companies for 10 years. I just, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. Anything else going on? Let's do the uh, Greycroft who who laid off a couple of people, the VC firm. This is an interesting one because I saw the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, Greycroft, I know the the folks over there. It's a um, a very large VC. They got over five billion, and then there was a story that they laid off five people. Mm-hmm. And the question was, um, you know, is is this like some big, uh, you know, thing that's you know, indicative of a pullback in the industry and people are missing their targets and fundraising. Um, and it's, it, this came in from the information, which, you know, listen, it, they're amongst the smartest of the journalists out there. But again, they only have 20, as I, as I always say, like they have about 10, 20, 30% of the information. So they're going to make a lot of, um, you know, they'll make a lot of jumps to, to figure out what this actually means. And so, yeah, tell me, tell me what's happened since, because I know Axios did a report I think the folks from Greycroft responded and then there might have been a follow-up. So I, the, I only know the first half of the story here. I think I set it up correct, yeah? Yeah, uh, yeah, perfectly. And in fact, the Axios story that came out a couple of days after the Im- information story sort of felt like as I was reading it, I was like, it feels like the Greycroft people wrote this for Axios. It was very like, oh, it's just a restructuring. The and Axios the- team knows, you know, they're, they're very, um, uh, um, they're, they're certainly not in the pocket or anything, but- you know, Dan um, over there at Axios knows everybody in the industry and is, and is well respected in the industry. So if you were going to correct something, you would go to Axios. That would be, you know, yeah. and Axios is a really, you know, uh, smart, savvy journalist. Totally. You know, I put both of these in the top 10% of actual real journalism. Totally agree. But at the bottom of the Axios article, there was a footnote that was like, Greg Croft was an early investor in Axios, but it no longer owns any shares. So Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, they got the back channel. Fine. Fair yeah. enough. So anyway, the... Basically, they cut uh, Greycroft, as reported by the information, cut five people on its investment mm-hmm. team. Uh, two of them were partners, and I think three of them were principals. One was a partner who was in charge of their health tech investing team. Yeah. Another one was in charge of their fintech investment team. And basically, the information article said they're really scaling back their health tech and their fintech investments. So this is sort of uh, 
you know, I don't know if it was, hey, restructuring. Yeah, you can leave or this or that. But the, the Axios article that came out later was basically like they, they were allowed to leave. Um, yeah, of course. It did. This is how it goes. Like you're just not invited to come back. Listen, I, I was pretty public about this. We, we got rid of our climate practice. I tried it for 14 months. It didn't work. And the person who was running the climate practice is no longer here. It, it's not anybody's fault. Sometimes, you know, as a fund, you just have to make strategic decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it seemed like it was slightly due to some fundraising underperformance as well. So last year, according to the information, Graycroft set out to raise about $1.6 billion between two funds, a growth fund and an early stage fund. It wound up raising about $980 million, about 40% below its target. And they announced that going forward, they're they're not actively seeking investments in health healthcare and fintech anymore, as I said. Mm. And now it's shifting most of its focus into AI. And that was sort of what the Axios article was about. It was like, this was really a restructuring. Now we're pushing the chips on all in on AI. Of course. It makes sense. I mean, you you gotta you gotta skate to where the puck's going. Healthcare's hard. AI is infecting everything. We we just talked about it, you know, mm-hmm. in so many different ways. It's every story is somehow connected to it. It's like cloud or mobile or high speed internet. It just affects every aspect of business. Um, so you know, there's nothing journalists like more than like, oh, somebody didn't hit their target story or somebody laid people off. But the truth is, this is a sign of strength from Graycroft to, you know. You know, I don't want to say cut underperformers. They could have been underperformers, but you would never say that in venture. But you'd say in venture is, hey, listen, they're going on to their next adventure. It didn't work out. There's there's no upside in saying like these people weren't good at their jobs, right? You just give them a graceful exit. Uh, It's a gentleman's restructure. That's it. It's a gentleman's restructure. Nobody was fired. Nobody was laid off. We restructured. And, you know, there just wasn't alignment on that. The end. Everybody moves on. Um, But, you know, these journalists love to, you know give themselves a bunch of high fives. I remember when the story came out, like every information journalist was retweeting it and giving high fives to the journalists. Oh, they found out five people were being laid off. You know, it's like kind of pathetic. I'll be honest. Um, no, no offense to the information. I respect some of the folks over there, but you know, like when they, I don't like this thing where they are like, Oh my God, amazing reporting. And it's like, Oh, amazing reporting. You found out like a couple of people are no longer at the firm. It's not amazing reporting. Let's be honest. Because you're not getting a Pulitzer for that. It's like the lowest form of reporting. You know, like, oh, somebody dropped a dime. Somebody told you, like, look at LinkedIn. Like, that's really, that's not really, like, going to get you a Pulitzer. Sorry, Jessica Lesson. You know, I respect, obviously, the information. Great job. But, you know, everybody pumped the brakes. Like, 16 retweets. The entire team is retweeting this thing. So like this they, is why you wanted to talk about this story. I thought you wanted to talk about how... Maybe there's like a pullback going on at VC. Or we're no, it's back. I'm, this, I'm putting my media hat on. Yeah, okay. I'm putting all my right, media right. hat on for this one. But I will tell you, for, putting on my venture hat on here, one thing they got wrong in this story, um, or they don't understand uh, very well, and so they, you can clip this and send it to the information folks. When, when you raise these funds the, in the SEC, your lawyer says, how much you're raising? So for example, for Fund 4, where ra- I said, you know, I've been telling people the public target's $100 million. I came out and I was like, well, we did $44 million in the last fund. I think this fund will be like 50 to 100 and so then when you talk to your lawyer, lawyer's like, okay, 50 to 100. Okay, we'll put on the paperwork like 150. You want to put 200, 150? I'm like, well, I don't know. And they're like, well, you know, just make it like double because that's just like if something happened crazy, you change your strategy, you know, you just don't have to refile the paperwork. And then a lot of the journalists know where to get this paperwork. So Graycroft may have put the, like the upper target, right? which is kind of like, it's not even a stretch goal. It's like, the absurdity to one. So I think I set it at 150 for launch fund four, mm. just in case, like, I don't know, some strategic 
incredible investor, Masayoshi san comes in and go, Oh, J Cal, I love what you're doing. You know, I want to be partners with you. Here's a 50 million, you know, and I, I already raised a hundred. I'm like, okay, well, you know, now it's a party. Let's go. So there's kind of like that going on here. Um, and so then they're like, ha ha, you know, like the kid on the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you didn't hit your target. It's like, just so you know, they literally tell you, the VCs will tell you to double that target when you file it. So, and <laughs> they've raised it. This is unbelievable that they raised a billion dollars between these two funds in this environment. Yeah. It's absurd. So they, they painted this as if Graycroft is like struggling or it's some kind of train wreck. I can assure you this is like a sign of actual strength. Mm -hmm. What they should be saying is Graycroft has the chutzpah despite having $25 million a year in fees on their billion dollars. They have the chutzpah to let go of a couple people and refocus and add some people and, and you know make some trades for their team this is like trading you know a starter you know on your team and like two of your bench players rotation players to get slightly better you know mm. a slightly better starter and a, and a couple of better rotation players this is far from a sign of weakness um so shout out to the graycroft team shout out axia shout out jessica has information uh, yeah, I got you from all sides here on this week at startups. I can give you both sides of the table here and everything in between. That was good. That was a good breakdown. Yeah. All right. Last thing yeah. before we go. And, and, yeah. um, you tweeted about your three D's, the, the three D's, D's of how you, I'm uh, playing three dimensional checker. Yes. Yeah. Of how you yeah, evaluate. had to get in there with a reply. I know. I don't even want to, don't even bring <laughs> reply up. guy. Chamath. Don't even bring we'll leave it, it at that. Yeah. Can you just go through? So this is about how you evaluate. When okay, you so are making I'm, an LP investment. This is how you evaluate. Yes, I am in twenty venture funds, plus four of my own, so twenty-four total. Uh, the way I like to manage my personal wealth is, you know, live in a nice house, buy a nice ski house, real estate I can use. The equities that get kicked off from you know being an investor in co private companies, I go public. So I have New Bank, I got Square, you know, um, I have Uber, obviously, you know. DoorDash. I like to hold those if I love the companies. And you, you see me publicly do a little like $2 million in trading on J trading. That was just for fun. Um, but then I like to put my money into venture funds because I, I understand that business really well. And you know, it's a 10, 20 year, but it should outperform the indexes. Um, and so venture is really, uh, as I mentioned in here, three D's. And, you know, this happened because I've been meeting with a bunch of potential LPs over here when I'm in the region, family offices, people want to meet with these sovereign wealth funds. And the three Ds that I look at is deal flow. Okay, so proprietary deal flow. How do you meet companies? You know, if you're a Sequoia, well, you're legendary. Everybody wants you on the cap table. Oh, if you're a Y Combinator, you got a great reputation. If you're a launch, I have two podcasts, they get 100 million listens combined. And, you know, that creates our deal flow. So deal flow is super important. If you're you know, a Stanford graduate, and you might be on the Stanford network. If you're an AI PhD, you have some knowledge and you're respected, you wrote some seminal paper in AI, you know, maybe people are drawn to you. So that would be like proprietary deal flow. Um, so that's what I look for. Then the second thing is your decision making process. You've seen the database and our decision making process. I have 13 reasons why we invest in a company. I've got 25 red flags. So that decision making process is really important. And so when you're talking to a fund manager, hey, how do you decide what you invest in? Take, walk me through the process. You look at a company, how do you figure it out? Um, and, you know, some people might be doing like super deep diligence, uh, you know, on like the technology, you know, whatever, and then doubling down, you know, in order to your fund construction is the fancy term for it. It's pretty simple. If you got a great hand, you want to double down, you know, there's some hands in 
blackjack that you split because your odds are in your favor depending on what the dealer's showing i don't play blackjack but you know if you flopped a set of aces and there's no flush on the board or whatever you want to get as much money into that hand as possible so doubling down is critically important i didn't double down in the early part of my career i was like one and done investor now you see me if i like a company they're having success they went to the accelerator we're going to investigate in their seed round and investigate in their series a those are my three uh Competing for deals is another thing. So you can add a C there, which would be, can they compete for deals? I don't have to worry about competing for deals. You know, in the seed stage, there's usually 10 investors in a company. So that was Great. it. I thought I would share that. And I, I add one fund manager a year. I added my fund manager for 2023. I'll add another one in Q4 of 2024. Do you get the I same just like, to add one um, year. like startup tingle? You know, when you, when you meet a, a team of founders and you say you get like the whoa kind of no. tingle. Do you get the same thing with a venture? Not yet. With a GP or no? No. So this not. is way more about strategy, follow on strategy. How do you get your deal flow? Okay, cool. And also like, you know, it's also like, does this person really need to win? Like, have it, is this important to them or are they, uh, have they quiet quit? You know, there's a lot of like GPs I know who have basically quiet quit. They're just collecting the fees. They got people working for them doing the deals. And they're just, it's such an incredible um, position to have in the world. You make so much money that fuck it. I'm just going to, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm just not going to quit the job, but I'm going to keep raising money and, and still be a GP. So I, I got to like, um, you know, filter against that, right? I need people mm -hmm. who really want to win, who have a competitive edge because it's a very competitive business if you're doing it right. Uh, you know, fighting for deals, fighting for deal flow, trying to make good decisions, trying to fight for more allocations to double down. You, need, you really need to be a fighter. Uh, you need to want it. You need to have a really hard work ethic to win. Yeah, I saw that clip of you on the, was it the LP podcast? I did uh, the shout out to the LP podcast. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. talked about Doug Leone. You're like, I thought that guy's retired. I thought he's retired. He's still there every time I go into the office. What are you, Doug, it's kind of like Carmelo. It's like Carmelo Anthony. He's sitting on the side watching a Knicks game. The ball inadvertently hits him and he immediately yeah. gets out of his seat and hits the three point yeah, yeah. corner three. He's like, it, I'm in the game. Put me in. You know, uh, like some, some, some folks just don't, can't quit. So yeah, shout out to Doug Leone, fan of the show. All right, let's wrap. All right, everybody. It's been a great show. Uh, thank you, producer Nick. And we'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Go check out the new website, thisweekinstartups.com. Shout out, podcast.ai.